Hey there, welcome to Basco's Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people doing cool stuff in e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. On this episode, I sit down with Chris Norrocki, co-founder of Hure, an e-commerce growth and strategy consultancy. And we touch on an array of subjects, um, from TikTok to VC funding to sustainability to the existential crisis traditional agency models are facing and everything in between. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Chris, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Hey, uh, I'm, I'm very well. All, all things considered, I am very well. Um, so I'm in, I'm in South London still. I'm still confined in my flat. My, uh, my, my other half is uh, a teacher. So I am continuously on uh, COVID watch, as it were. Um, I think uh, work, work, her work in that sort of environment has made me hyper aware that she's surrounded by kids. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Who are who are who are uh, on the cusp of being ill all the time? So yep. you know, yep. I, I'm I'm voluntarily self-isolating for now. I think that's a good move. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about Hewer in a bit, but I want to learn a little bit more about what you were up to before Hewer. So maybe you can give us a little bit more insight uh, into what you were doing um, before the current business that you have. Yeah, yeah, sure. So. Um, I don't know where, where 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 to start. So I mean, I when I when I when I was at university, I, I worked in e-commerce, sort of fringe e-commerce, um, and then ever since then, I've been in e-commerce. I'm a pure play e-commerce specialist, uh, thirteen years sort of client side experience, uh, kind of spanning you know back in the beginning, sort of uh, graphic design content all the way through to senior head of. Um, and then prior to here, I was uh, my own consultancy called Whistle Digital, um, which, which again, I, I kind of moonlighted as uh, director of growth for a few different digital agencies, uh, non-exec for a few businesses going through uh, raising capital, um, also moonlighted as a head of uh, and a CMO. Uh, so quite, quite a broad spectrum of things uh, all, all pertaining to the, the broader scope of e-commerce. Um, but I think towards the end, it was more towards uh, a business consultant. So looking at the broader, non-linear things that affect e-commerce growth outside of programmatic. Yeah. So it sounds like you've had quite a, uh, a 360 view. I've also never heard of fringe e-commerce before. I quite like that term. I quite like the idea. <laughs> Outsider e-com, I quite like that. It's kind of like, um, yeah, some sort of like weird art school punk band, you know, <laughs> something from, from uh, New York in the early 80s, you know, part of the, the no wave movement or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, so that kind of experience led into Hewer. So, I mean, it would be good to understand like, you know, what are you up to now? What is Hewer? You know, give us the kind of like the mission and, and like how did it start and, and, and all that sort of stuff. 
So I suppose um, here's, here's mission A, I suppose, in its purest form is to enable growth for clients through visionary strategy blended with programmatic. So I, I think this is, this is something that you and I have, have talked about many, many times before, and it's trying to blur the lines between uh, strategic consultancy support uh, alongside uh, the pr more programmatic parts of a, of a marketing mix. So being able to offer uh, a service um, alongside a product. So we, we, we productize uh, uh, paid, paid marketing. So, you know, programmatic across uh, AdWords, uh, social, affiliates, um, influencers. Uh, and then we blend that with e-commerce e consultancy, which is kind of all underpinned by, I suppose, my retrospective 13 13 years experience and then my my my, my co-founders retrospective experience of, of 20 plus years um and i think you know that that's we're try, trying to blend those things going forward and i think that that's that that's that's what a lot of agencies now struggle with is being able to scale with clients and their needs so i mean we we proactively work as heads of cmos um non-execs and directors uh, across, you know, agencies, businesses, uh, Series A, Series B funded uh, businesses. So, you know, we, we can scale to fit whatever your needs are while offering those services as well. I think the, 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 last, the last sort of thing that's worth noting is that we don't, we don't class ourselves as a digital, as a digital agency. We're, we're, we're not just digital. Growth isn't just digital. If you're looking for growth just within that digital channel, you're, you're liable to limit yourself. That's an interesting concept. So I suppose, uh, what, what do you consider Hewer then? A consultancy, an agency, somewhere in between? I mean, that, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the big question that we have for ourselves in uh, Q4 of this year. Uh, we, we, we set out to be a consultancy um, and then we've adapted to, to fit, fit the market, you know, um, I think we we sit somewhere between the two, uh, and, I, and I think again this is this is where the handoff point of what legacy agencies would be able to offer and commit to is is the crossover to what we can offer. So offering the the, the programmatic delivery of a marketing service while offering sort of a headless consultancy alongside it to assure that there is that programmatic growth outside of. Um, outside of the, the limitations of direct direct to consumer digital. So if you if you ever get to the point where you're engaging across all the digital channels and there is no further scope, that's when we would step in as consultants and look at the business-wide uh, performance metrics. You know, if, if your business goal is to drive top-line growth, it's a different strategy. If you want to drive bottom-line growth, it's a different strategy. Mm -hmm. Both of these will look at different parts of the business. And that, that's where we can work fairly agnostically across um, the operations, the delivery, uh, the warehousing, you know, the, the, the team setup, the delivery setups, um, where I think, again, that, that's, that's a difficulty of defining ourselves. Yeah. But I mean, like, 
that you, you touched on some really interesting concepts, I suppose, and it's worth noting for, for the listeners, like you're, you're, you know, this is quite a new venture, right? This is kind of um, uh, early stages into it, although you and your co-founder, Chris, also are coming in with a, with a, uh, a great level of inertia with all of the years of experience that you have. But that the concept you talk about is an interesting one because I'm seeing more of it, this headless agency concept or fractional resource type consultancy where a... Uh, group and it's usually quite small you know two to four individuals who are extremely well versed in whatever subject matter um, that that they come from and they kind of provide that consultancy on the ground to some degree so some programmatic stuff maybe with a product like kind of you guys have got or bringing in the kind of resource um, that a a brand uh, or a business might need to go from point a to b or whatever it is that you are consulting with them them on so sort of providing these kind of turnkey solutions which i think is really interesting because it goes back to the point you you talked about before how do you how do you scale an agency i think the key question is how do you do it profitably <laughs> yeah, like, yeah 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 with with as many with as few people as possible i think is 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 one way of doing it certainly a, a simpler way than, than 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 doing loads of hiring yeah no i i i completely agree and i think that is the that, that is one of the key points that we try and support businesses with. You know, if the, the, the chances are as a small business, you'll need um, a head of to define your strategy, to drive, to, to define your, your forecast. Once that's done, what else does that head of have to do? Um, and then past that point, you have to engage with agencies, maintain those agencies, fulfill those agencies and make sure, again, it's, it's, it's a forgotten thing. You know, an agency is as good as the internal person managing that agency. Um, and going back to the point I made earlier about the head of, you know, you, you, some small businesses don't need that head of every day of the week. And mm-hmm. that, that's where we can scale to help is offering that support on a sort of pay as you go almost uh, level. So it's just giving, giving that support when you need it, then we're not there every day. Yeah, exactly. And maybe they can't afford it right now, right? But you still want the, 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 the expertise. Um, so I think that that's why it's an interesting model where you could get a, a CMO for two days a week. Like, do you need one for five days a week? Can you afford it? Like, you know, well, this is a good <laughs> solution to kind of get you to the five days a week. You know what I mean? No, I, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, it's, it's going, going to that point before, you know, but building a forecast around what it is that you're spending, you know, it's almost, it's almost a, a forgotten thing when you engage with an agency. You know, it, it's building a forecast is not only based on what you can spend, it's what you can yield and the limitations of business versus commercial um, and understanding how that affects everything in between. So, you know, I mean, try, trying to achieve that growth, is it possible within the market? Is the business able to fulfill that? Do you have the right operational setup to structure that? And I suppose that, that that's, that's sort of... Um, one of the things we, we, we have offered and fulfilled for businesses is making sure their commercial goals fit up to the reality of uh, what, what, the, what the market can offer them, um, which, you know, it's, it's not always aligned. I think there's a lot of businesses now that are, you know, inexperienced in, in with that forecasting process and they look back to the previous quarters and say, okay, we did fantastically well. Our ROAS was fantastic. And they forecast based on that. When actually, you know, the, the market in the last six months has been very nuanced by um, larger businesses pulling out, furloughing, 
and effectively switching off their marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that what, what all that has done is increased the impression share that they can serve uh, for the same price, which effectively allows them to overachieve compared to the norm. You know, and it, it's, it's almost you can look back to that as I don't know how many how many how many of the listeners have actually been using Facebook for the last you know six six to eight years uh, in terms of the actual uh, paid marketing, the impression share you could have got seven years ago compared to now. Uh, well, I say impression share. I say impression share with value. The impression share is there now, but it, it's it's in decline of value. Um, and it's a similar similar conundrum now. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuances in 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 the market where the, this this is kind of where we're scaling to help. Slight tangent. Yeah. What do you think of TikTok? Um. So I mean, I'm I say regrettably, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't have an account because uh, there was as as I'm sure you know that, that there was a lot of issues around their security. Yep. Around the data they were trawling, and if you look at what they're actually pulling out, it's phenomenal. They're pulling everything that they can with the, there's there's some sort of deep dark master plan they've got. God knows what it is. Um, but TikTok, in terms of a channel, you know, it's high engagement, high growth. Mm. It's where people are dwelling. Arguably, you know, it is the demographic is much younger through lockdown. It's become a little older. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, it kind of reminds me of when Snapchat was coming mm-hmm. up to fame, and yep. you see all the top performing content on Instagram was Snapchat content. Yeah, yeah. And yep. now it's all the top performing on Instagram. Yeah, is TikTok content. Um, so I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, but I think they've got a lot of they've got a lot of uh, hoops to jump through before they can do anything uh, of of use with it. Uh, but no, I, I honestly I found myself swiping <laughs> for, 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 for forty five minutes to an hour, just thinking what is going on. But then before before I know it, I'm part of the problem. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Like I was listening to it. I'm I'm very intrigued, and I think that like yeah, it, it's interesting you say that over COVID the the demographic of the TikTok users changed, and I, I certainly feel I've I've succumbed to that. I haven't set up an account, but I have been like very intrigued in doing more. I suppose all right research or whatever. I'm just like I, it was a thing that I knew about, and I'm like oh okay, I should probably you know being in the digital landscape, or whatever, know a bit, <laughs> bit more about this thing, right and I was listening to a podcast and yeah, someone was saying that, yeah, they just got totally like, I don't know, whatever the quote was like, they, they, they downloaded it. And two days later they were, Oh, I'm still on this thing. So yeah, the, 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 the engagement and the, the, um, the algorithm is obviously incredibly powerful. Well, 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 this, this, this is the thing. So I, I, I mean, I mentioned before that my other half's a teacher and, um, I used to ask her about what, you know, what trends are at school, what are the kids doing, you know, mm. like when it was, the, if it was the Fortnite dances, if it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, all these other bizarre things. I think when I, Planking. When I, when I, when I, when I was younger, it was, what was it? it was Pogs, probably Pokemon cards. Pog, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right? yeah. I think yo-yos was a thing for a bit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had basketball cards. Basketball well, cards were massive in the see, 90s. I, I, I prefer that to Pokemon cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least now, if I found those in my drawer, I could still think I was a little bit cool. Um, <laughs> but but now these trends are appearing on TikTok prior to schools. So it's almost like TikTok mm. is leading the way for kids in schools. Uh, I think what one of the other 
bizarre things now that I, I where I live, you know, I can see people out of my window on the street doing TikTok dances, trying to get TikTok famous. Even that as a thing, that the idea that you can get TikTok famous. Um it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've, not- I've noticed on the um I don't know, whichever uh, television subscription service that I'm being um, sucked into. Uh, they've got TikTok ads at the moment. I think it might be Channel Four, and they they they're promoting their individual users. So it's a TikTok ad, but they will pull out an individual user, and yeah. I don't know. They'll give them their their hashtag or their handle or whatever, and they'll. It's kind of like the little journey of them. And I was like, holy moly! So I, I, that is crazy. So so what I what I would what I would take from this is like think about what it is they're trying to do. You know, TikTok. Their mission here is to suck up the whole market. Yep. Once they have that market, what do they do with that market yep. share? You know, and I think you know it's it's it's, it's similar to what um, Apple's doing compared to Spotify, right? Apple's playing the long game with sorry, with Apple. I mean iTunes. Mm-hmm. So they're 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 getting students to onboard in the same way that when I was a student, I onboarded onto Spotify, mm-hmm. um, knowing the long game that Spotify's customer base will will retrograde and they will they will finally become. Obsolete, but you know they, they will start to die out, and Apple will be playing the long game in that sense. Yeah, and, and you know, in all fairness, that's that's what what Facebook has over everyone else is the is the uh, consumer base, which mm. is unrivaled. It's absolutely mm. unrivaled. Yeah, it's a scary thought. Anyway, yeah, that was a slight tangent, but I thought it was Ooh, an interesting yeah. one given given where you were going. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm I, like to sort of take a, a a slight switch in gears, but I suppose sticking within the same realm. Um, we were talking about it before, but you guys work with 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 some VC and P firms, and I suppose, given some of the 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 high profile VC backed direct consumer brand tales of late, um, you know the outdoor voices, Casper, Brandless, etc. I'm keen to get your thoughts on it. Do you think that these were cautionary tales, or do you think that the funding structure for DGC brands needs to be rethought? You know, what's your take on it? So I, I think that the first thing to kind of to qualify, uh, it's, it's good to set the premise of this, is the majority of uh, funded brands will fail. Um, then then the, then the then the next one on from there, there will be a few that will break even. Then you'll then every so often you'll get a unicorn. And you know, from from the equity sides, the unicorn will cover the costs of all the outlays of all yep. the brands that have failed. So from their side, you know, there's always there's always going to be these failing brands. There's always going to be cautionary tales. Um, and I think now it's probably just come more uh, out of the limelight, um, and it's, it's more widely accepted that brands are funded. They are, they are, they are backed, and they are growing that way. Um, I think you know you could look at Outdoor Voices, similar similar brands to them. You know, you got Band of Outsiders. Uh, both went on similar journeys, high growth. Uh, then the investments were then put into the marketing. The marketing wasn't able to sustain uh, the, the customer acquisition, uh, which again, you know, that, that there's there's plenty more cautionary tales like that. If if you look back to, I think when it was now, probably three or four years ago, you have Mojave's, which mm-hmm. is um, footwear slippers brands. You know, their whole model was based around aggressive Facebook acquisition. Uh, I don't know the exact figures, but I mean, arguably, their their acquisition costs through Facebook probably sat eight to ten pounds in the beginning, and then towards the end, when the business uh, was bought out, actually bought out by the same guy Casper, I believe. 
um, the customer acquisition cost through Facebook was sitting around £85, which was, you know, above the cost of a shoe. Mm. So, you know, a, a polarized acquisition funnel isn't going to, it'll get you from A to B, but it won't take you the rest of the way. Um, and I think one of the big issues that you have within VC or so it's VC for fashion, which, you know, now the, now the, the only, the only categories or verticals within e-commerce that are actually down year on year is fashion retail. Mm. So it's a, that, that in itself is a cautionary tale, but that again, the VCs PEs are picked up on that and they're, they're the, they're the areas which are now struggling to get funding, uh, because of the year on year declines and got, uh, regardless of how, how good the brands are. Um, and I think the, the, the brands that work within funding, uh, particularly now, um, have, have loyalty, have, have sustainable repeat purchases, you know, predictable repeat purchases. So, you know, if you, if you look to some of the, the big, the big winners, you've got Harry's, you know, shave club, you're always going to shave. And once, once you're bought mm. in and once you're subscribed, you know, like subscription models, that is that is, you know, investment gold. If you can get a subscription model that works. Recurring revenue. Recurring Both for agencies and, yeah, direct consumer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lovely the, thing. Yeah, it's the predictability. You know, it's the predictability, which, as I said before, loyalty within fashion retail, I, 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 I kind of dance between the idea that it exists and it doesn't exist. Um, the idea that you could do a loyalty program which should engage more people, should bring more people in. Mm if it's not doing the right way, it doesn't work. And when I say doing the right way, it's usually super soft touch or surprise and delight or actually, you know, giving better deals to the people who have already qualified as loyal. Trying to make somebody loyal through a point system doesn't, doesn't work. You know, I think, do you you think it's an, do you think that the, 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 the real loyalty comes from the brand itself and like by trying to introduce a loyalty system, you're just trying to artificially inflate that concept. So I, I think, well, yeah, I, I would, I completely agree with that. But building brand is mid to long-term goal. And all, all of these, all, all of the brands now are challenges or startups, they all, they all want that recognition now. Mm. And I think that's the difficulty. You won't get brand equity overnight. Um, so if you look at somebody like, I don't know, Patagonia or mm. uh, Vivo Barefoot, Mm-hmm. but bare, better running shoes for those for those who don't know who they are um building brand for them is a long journey mm-hmm. and and now what the you know the definition of a of a brand that is built is the pe- when people ask questions about their shoes through social the audience and their cons- customer base answers the questions for them they don't have to engage mm-hmm. you know their, their customer base is so opinionated and so so much so much advocacy of what they're doing yep but they'll engage for them. They know everything about the brand, you know, and these things, it comes with depth. And I think one of the big issues, again, it's a slight tangent, but the issues that you have um, with now with brands trying to be sustainable, instead of looking at building sustainability ground up, they look at what they have and how they can frame that as sustainable. And that, that, that's, that's a similar mistake that they make with brands. Like what do we have right now to make us a brand that people want to follow as opposed to building a brand that is worth following, which which sounds very similar, but the nuance in completely different ways. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's difficult. I get it. Like as as a brand, right? Like you you need to be aware of the zeitgeist, but how much do you let it dictate like your actual strategy? And I think Patagonia is a great example of that. Like, I mean, 
the whole sustainability thing that <laughs> that's been something they've done from the beginning right and i think it's in some ways I, I think it's easy to look at someone like patagonia and go oh but like they're you know they've done it from the start and like they already had that inertia yeah but i suppose they, they were in that space already you know they were part of outdoor lifestyle stuff and if you're so outdoors I, you're probably going to want to be you know environmentally conscious I, and i think that's it you know i think their their ethos was built it was doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do yeah Exactly. And that, that's what it's built on. It wasn't built on the idea that we can make more money now if we do something differently. Uh, they, they've stuck to that. You know, if you, if you look back oh, 15, 16 years, they were doing recycled fleeces. That was a thing. And then now brands are championing. I mean, this year, I've seen several brands champion the idea of a recycled fleece. Yep. That's a new thing. Yep. But it's not, it's not a new thing. The idea that they can, you can return products to them and they'll recycle it, reduce it, and reuse it that's not a new thing it's 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 a well-known it's a well-known thing within patagonia that these these cycles exist um but again you know they're 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 at the forefront of all these things and they're built around this um and arguably one of the issues with sustainability is that it only really becomes profitable at scale Mm. um which you know is is a difficulty and until there's broad adoption of the market which is going to be dictated to by the customers which arguably don't want to they want sustainability but they don't want to have to pay for it and i think exactly i I think it's one of the issues with mass consumption is that everybody's got used to i mean including myself and i'm sure yeah 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 we've got got used to the price of things um and that price sensitivity is going to stop uh stop this growth and i think you know arguably one of this is going to be pretty Trying to think of the best way to say this, but one of one of the things that is potentially positive to come out of COVID is it's it's forced the hand of of brands to make this move. So you know the, the prior to COVID, it was uh, all all of the all of the talks, all the all the podcasts, all of the the papers that I read were all pointing towards a four or five year cycle of when sustainability should be fully fledged, mm. and now that cycle has been pushed to now. Because everyone is stopping, thinking, and taking in what they have. I don't know if it's the same for you, Tim, but when I, when I've sat at my home, all I think is I look around, think, all oh, this stuff that I don't need. Why do totally. I have stuff around me? Totally, totally. <laughs> I've I've tried for quite. I'm I'm actually quite good personally with that. I I don't know. I saw something or read something years ago. It was some sort of like minimalist lifestyle kind of ethos or methodology and it was something along the lines of if it costs less than 20 whatever dollars pounds and you've had it for less than and you haven't used it for less than six months give it to somebody else don't don't well you can sell it if you want but make sure someone else like you don't you obviously don't use it so give it to somebody else and i've been quite strict with that over the last kind of 10 years and and it has proved quite useful where i I will accumulate things, which I think is natural as a consumer, but then I'm sort of having a lens of like, well, hang on, do I need it? Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Like particularly now, there's more time spent at home looking at all the shit around the house. And so you're like, oh, hang on, do I, do I really need this stuff? But yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting concept, right? That whole the consumption brands, the dichotomy of both of those things from a sustainability point of view, ultimately consumption is unsustainable. Like we shouldn't be consuming really anything, right? 
other than you know like food and you know the kind of things that we need to live we you know we need all the all the all the needs that we have that have been built into us over you know the the last and, and I, years. I, yeah and i think i think that's it and i think that's how the market is changing and that is inevitably why uh fashion retails you know some some parts of it's 35 40 percent down um year on year and it is it is that i i mean obviously there are, there are the things such as i'm not going anywhere so why do i need to buy things you know it's, it's very easy for me to get up put my, put my sweatpants on, put on and I'll just, <laughs> shirt, shirt on top with a tie right, as right, yeah. Having a Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah yeah but do you know what that, that's that's one of the most important things about staying sane if you are still working at home is routine you know it's it's getting up going for a walk having a shower going to my office just so happens my office is also my sofa so <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fortunate enough to have my own office as of yet. Um, and I think, you know, that that'll be a big, a big move for us, hopefully in Q1 of next year. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 there's, there's a lot of focus. My side is trying to understand where the market's going. Like what, what's, what's Q4 going to look like? What's Black Friday going to look like? What's Christmas going to look like? When's January sale going to be? Inevitably it's going to be December. Are we going to leave sale? Brands are on mid season now. Is it going to be a quarter of trade, you know? And there, there are there are some brands which start of lockdown, their factories locked down, their production stops. They're now getting that production in Q4, so they're going to get that production drops. Then it's going to have to go straight into sale, which is going to break the cycle even more. Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting time. Yeah, they are some interesting predictions. Do, do you think that there is going to be a major cannibalization of 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 brands? Um, given the kind of, I suppose, I don't know, what, what, what word shall we use? Unprecedented. That's a common one. <laughs> unprecedented year. Like, yeah, do you think that all um, standard forecasting, modeling, um, I suppose, analysis is all maybe not obsolete, but, you know, has a huge COVID factor like layered on top of it? I, 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 think, I think there's added complexity. There's added complexity. I think year on year, there's several layers to the way in which I'd forecast. Um, speaking sort of broadly, you look at the the week on week trends year on year. Then you look at the the, the in, in market segments across each paid media channel. Then look at you know search volume across categories, brand, and so on. Then you could be able to forecast on that. Um, but all of these things are completely thrown out by the last six months, and it's very much about trading where you are right now. Um, I think in terms of cannibalization, a lot of a lot of brands have been very smart. The ones that are still around now, arguably after six months of furlough with no team, you know, there are there are brands which I've have have, have kind of heard, heard sort of through third parties, brands like YMC, you know, it's 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 the co-founder. He's the mm-hmm. one who's doing that shit by himself. Yep. And those sort of brands will continue to exist and they will they will continue running. Um it's a difficult one. So, I mean, if you asked me the same question at the start of lockdown, it would be a very similar answer to what I would say to a brand through any sort of economic downturn. The brands that keep trading through an economic downturn will come out of that economic downturn uh, so much stronger. Mm-hmm. You'll be on the front foot running out of that uh, recession. Um, but I understand that there are issues now where the world has just completely changed. And it's, it is now about keeping the lights on. Um, I'm interested to see how the next few months turn out. Um, and I think what one again is something that we talked about earlier on is, you know, it's, it's the profitability. Um, I have no doubt that you'll be able to hit sales targets in Q4, but will you be able to keep them profitable? Mm. 
that is that is a real challenge. I'm keen to switch gears a little bit because we, we've we've kind of we've done a nice little meander there. I quite like that from, from TikTok <laughs> to VC to sustainability to to like profitability. Quite like that. You touched on it before, but um, I suppose it's the uh, it's the elephant in the room, and I, I'm quite keen not to dwell on on too much of the COVID stuff. However, it's, yeah. I think it's unavoidable in in yeah. some some way. So sort of putting that to the side, but like that, you know, this new world that we've got, I found it quite hard to delineate between <clears throat> work life and life life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah now yeah. it's a bit harder. So what, 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 you know, what, what are you doing to, to maintain that balance or are you yeah. finding that it's just not there? Yeah. So I, I think at the beginning, <laughs> at the beginning, I was loving the idea of being at home, you know, I'd have to get back, I'd have to get on the train to get on the tube to get myself into central London. So I'm getting back arguably three to four hours a day. Um, I'm not leaving the house at six in the morning, getting back at half eight, nine at night. Um, but then after two or three months of that, I realized that without routine, uh, it becomes very monotonous. Mm. And I think that's the key thing, you know, it's getting up, getting up when my half goes to work, uh, going for an hour and a half, two hour walk. I mean, again, I'm in Crystal Palace. So I've got the great part next to me. Mm. Uh, having that time to sort of, almost digest what's going on as it changes so much day to day. Um, and then still following that same work routine. You know, I say that I don't have an office, but I've made it as <laughs> I've made, made my living room look as much like an office as possible within the realms of what I'm allowed to do. Um, but no, I'd say it's r- routine is key. You know, I, I don't see, uh, I, I think the key thing, you know, COVID aside, the way that we work has completely changed. You know, I, the, 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 I've heard large, I mean, the UK's largest um, sort of third-party reseller, ASOS, you know, they're, they're, they're removing two of their floors so people can work from home more. Um, so, you know, that, that is a change that has happened. And these, these things are now just broadly accepted that you don't have to be in the office. So it's almost thinking about, okay, well, how is this going to affect you long-term and how do you make it sustainable for yourself? Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And I keep hearing the... Um, uh, follow a guy called scott galloway he does Mm. a couple of podcasts and he talks about it quite a lot um the idea is this a change agent or is it just an accelerant have we just been accelerated forward and i think that that is an interesting concept whether things have taken a total fork in the road or have we just gotten to where the world will be (laughs) in five ten years time certainly from the e-com perspective there's a lot of literature out there to suggest that you know we've accelerated things you know we've we've leapfrogged five years ten years and now we're living in 2030 yeah so i think one of the things to think about there is you know it's quite easy for you and i to i'm fairly confident if you and i took on a project we'd be able to work remotely and nail it Mm -hmm. um but i think if you're working with you know junior stakeholders or you're training up a team doing that remotely you know that, that there's there's a lot of interpersonal things which you need to learn and you get that from an office i think losing that is going to be an issue um and a lot a lot, a lot of the time in office is driven by founders co-founders um wanting to be able to see people knowing that they are working mm. and i think you know um the new the new school that kind of challenges the sort of new startups there's a lot of them now which are just remote you know, you don't need to be in the same country. They'll do a monthly, quarterly uh, meetup and that's it. They trust you to do your job and there's transparency on that. Mm, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a fascinating um, 
thought and and time for the whole what does it mean to i suppose interact with other people across everything right not not just from a professional perspective but but socially i think it's also you know it's 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 uh you know we all need that level of perspective as well you know like there are many people in the world who are not (laughs) you can't just go remote and work from home and and all this sort of stuff so we do kind of live in a bit of a bubble which is a bit of again another weird twist to this whole thing right where we're we're kind of a bit insulated from a lot of the stuff right and it's 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 kind of like it's fascinating how how insulated we can be anyway that is another podcast i don't want to get into that. This, this is why i don't like i specifically try and avoid the whole covid thing not because i don't find it interesting and i do find it fascinating but i i think it's probably slightly um diluted and oversubscribed when it comes to yeah yeah, podcasts yeah. at the moment I, i'm keen to sort of like draw it to a close and I, i've got i've got a couple of final questions so sure. The, the first one is, uh, I started asking people what, what sort of advice they would give to other people, but I'm not sure if that, I, I'd prefer to phrase it in a way that what advice would you give to yourself at, at a younger or at an at a, at a, at a earlier point in your, in your life? Let's say your 20-year-old self. 20-year-old self. So it's a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just think where I was then. So I was... Finish up yeah, uni. Talk me through it. Where were you? What were you, you know, doing? So I, I, I would have been final year of uni, just about to move back up north. And then the following year, I moved down to London. Um, you know, I, I think in, in, my, in my career, I've done a lot of things. I've done it very quickly and I've done it quite aggressively, um, purely because, you know, it, it's the way that I work and it's the way that I am. And that's an unavoidable personality trait of mine. Um, but I, I think that there's the focus that I should have had is working on for working for companies with the right ethos, working for companies that have the right uh, the right founders, the right structure, the right team, and it's it's not just about the work. Um, I've been very much in businesses which were driven by the work that you produce, as opposed to building sort of a community. Mm. I think that that's that's always going to be a big regret of mine is not being able to look back at all the communities that I was part of um, through my career, purely because I, I can look back at my accolades in terms of work that I produce and who I've done it for, but less about the communities that I've managed to join and kind of remain a part of. There are some in there that I've, that I've maintained. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, that, that's what my focus would be now is, you know, pairing yourself with the right partner. Yeah. That's a very thoughtful answer. I like that. <laughs> Most people say buy a lottery ticket or something. You know? <laughs> okay, so the final is not really a question. This this is a uh, this is a this is an opportunity for you to 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 plug away. Where can people find you? How can they find you? How can they find you? You know, um, yeah. Tell 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 the masses. So you know, I think that there's the standards. You can find us on uh, here.co.uk, uh, and obviously Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know the drill. It's uh, we are, we are, we are everywhere. And obviously, you know my LinkedIn. I'm always happy to talk to anybody and anybody about e-commerce marketing or even just things in general. You know, it's it's uh, the the e-commerce world is so much broader than e-commerce now, and uh, we're we're in tune with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's a very exciting space, and uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Chris. This was really good. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. There you have it. Big shout out to Chris for joining me. Go check out Hewer at Hewer.co.uk. That's H-E-U-R.co.uk. Before I go, a quick word for my sponsor, Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at Klaviyo.com slash your basket is empty. And finally, as always, if you like the podcast, tell every single person you know to subscribe and write a review. I will see you next time. Taking notes to the don't lie.